Praise the Lord, everybody. Come on, one more time. Hosanna for the children. Come on, give God your best praise. Come on, somebody shout unto the Lord. Hallelujah. 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 God is great. Hosanna. Blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. Here's what I want to do. I want to dismiss the children to children's ministry with the exception of second and third grade students. We do not have a class for them today, so they will stay and worship with us. But all of the other children are dismissed to go and be a part of children's ministry. Except those who are in the second and third grade. All right. And those of us who are here, I just want to say good morning and praise the Lord, everybody. Praise the Lord, everybody. Our God is worthy to be praised. I've got some good news for you. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, uh, we brought to the church our initiative, the engagement team. So many of you called us and asked us, hey, what are we going to do for Ukraine? And you were excited to be a part and how God would use you to bless. And we wanted to have a response as a church. God led us to a particular ministry that we have partnership with. It made sense for us to, uh, to bless that ministry. And so we gave you an opportunity to give. And we set a goal of $3,000. We thought that that would be a great gift to show the churches kind of how God would use us, our utility uh, to speak to this matter. I want to announce to today that we have exceeded through your generosity that goal. God bless you. Well, praise the Lord for that. We're excited about that. Today, uh, we have $3,600 that we have taken in to bless that ministry. Uh, but it's not too late. If you still want to give, we'll, we'll, we'll do this until the end of, of the month. So you still have a couple opportunities. Uh, Sundays, that is. But if you go on our website, hit the drop down. There's a way to give there. So the, God bless you. Thank you so very much. We're excited to announce that, that God has blessed us and we can participate. Uh, we've been talking about righteous resistance. And we've carried that theme through Black History Month. And you guys were here last, last Sunday uh, when Pastor Eric talked to us about righteous resistance, and he used uh, the incident where Jesus went in, turned over tables uh, in the temple, and he did this great correlation to that and the fig tree. If you didn't get a chance to go back, I, I encourage you to go back and hear that sermon. If you didn't get a chance to hear it, uh, obviously, as Pastor does every week, uh, God really used him. It was, it was brilliant. <laughs> and I, I'm going to refer to it here because uh, it's something in particular that just, uh, it blessed my socks off, all right? Uh, <laughs> Um, today, though, we're going to talk about righteous resistance. Um, how many of you remember the movie The Fugitive? It was a 1993 movie starred Harrison Ford and Tommy Lee Jones. Uh, Harrison Ford char character, Dr. Richard Kimball, is accused of uh, killing his wife. He didn't do it, and so he's, he's free. He's being pursued. He's a fugitive, but he has to use this time to prove that he, in fact, is not guilty of the crime for which uh, he is alleged. Uh, and there's this scene that takes place where they're chasing him. It happens on St. Patrick's Day in Chicago. So there's this big party or parade, uh, and people are, you know, getting a drink on or whatever they do, and they're out there, and, they're, 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 and everybody's partying, and they're in the street. It's mass pandemonium. It's celebration. It's going down. And in the middle of this great celebration is have police chases happening. And there's, there's this chaos there's this irony that's taking place, 
in the middle of this celebration. And today, from Righteous Resistance, what we're going to look at is this, this celebration, this, this parade that the children just did for us. They just demonstrated it for us. Let's give God praise for the kids, by the way. That was awesome. So for, for just a few minutes, though, today, I want to talk to you about the chaos and contradiction that is often found inside a celebration. That in the midst of this euphoria, something is happening. Jesus is doing something that is very contradictory, and there's chaos. So if you will pray with me, I just want to preach on that for just a few minutes. Come on, let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. God, we thank you for your goodness, your kindness, your mercy. We thank you that we are all here. And now that we are here, would you speak to us? And God, we thank you for your son. And we thank you for the contradiction and the pushback that we find in Jesus. Your word is blessed. Nobody is the same when they leave today. This we believe you for. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Well, do me a favor uh, for just a few minutes. I'm going to preach to you. Would you hold your cup up before the Lord? And would you humbly say, fill my cup, Lord, and let it overflow. Before I preach to you, it's important to me that you know that I love you. I value this opportunity to sow the seeds of the word of God into your life. I pray that for somebody, uh, this word is going to make a difference, and it's going to bring you a harvest. Let's go to the word of God in Luke chapter 19, beginning with verse 28. After Jesus had said this, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethphage and Bethany, at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples, saying, Go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a coat tied there, that's so important, which no man has ever ridden on. God's getting his best. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Say, the Lord needs it. Those who were sent went ahead and found it just as he had told them. And they were un as they were untying the coat, the owners asked them, why are you untying the coat? They replied, the Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the coat, and put, it on, put Jesus on it. And when he went along, as he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. When he came near the place where the road goes down to the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully joyfully to praise God in a loud voice for all the miracles they had seen. It's important. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Hosanna. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. Jesus said, I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. During the civil rights movement, two personalities seemed to loom larger than most, though certainly there were many countless contributions for many others. It is undeniable that for many, Dr. Martin Luther King and El-Hajj Malik El-Shabazz, you know him as Malcolm X, I think we have a picture of them, were the most prominent figures and thus some considered them to be the faces of the movement. The sad irony, church, is that we needed both of them. Because what plagued these men as individuals has the potential to plague all great leaders, and Jesus is no exception. 
You see, no one leader who signs on to do the will of God will appeal to all people. In the civil rights movement, Dr. King was just right for many people, but his philosophies and practices of nonviolence and his turn-the-other-cheek approach was not radical enough for many people. Many prefer someone like El-Hajj, Malik al-Shabazz, Malcolm X, who certainly ascribed to the principle by any means necessary and an eye for an eye. His particularly, some would say, was a more violent approach. I got to stop right here. Here's the part of Pastor Eric's sermon last week that has had me laughing all week in stitches, couldn't handle it. It is when he last week uh, uh, framed the violent act of Jesus turning over the tables, not necessarily wanting to divulge Jesus as violent in that moment. He simply said, Jesus purified the temple in a calculated moment of zeal. <laughs> you had me die, dog. It just, you killed me, man. I was like, oh, is that what, that's how you going to say that, right? He didn't go postal, like, he, he didn't go wrong. He purified the temple. Okay. You the lead pastor. You can get that. <laughs> so for sure, though, church, see that both of them would be too much for people who wanted things to stay the same. Here's the irony. They were fighting against the same systems of oppression while fighting for the same marginalized people. And yet, just like Jesus, they did not always fit people's idea of who they should be and how they should conduct their business. They were fighting for people, but they also had to fight the people that they were fighting for. They both struggled to overcome public perceptions of people had of them and to maintain their true identities and to walk in their true callings. Y'all, it is hard to be our leader. It is hard to be our hero because if we are sent by God to lead us, you will find out that you just can't bless us. You got to bless us our way. You actually have to fulfill our perspectives and route to healing us. What is true is that we create our heroes in our mind. Every DC and Marvel, by the way, we're the DC fans and we're the Marvel fans out here. Here's what's true of every DC and Marvel hero. That hero was once an idea on somebody's sketch pad. Someone had to decide on their dimensions, their attributes, as well as their strengths and weaknesses. Someone had to decide that this hero can fly, this one can spin a web, this one has a golden lasso, and this one is going to shoot silver bullets. We create our heroes, and we must understand that the capacity that they have is what we build into them. But they can do no more than we have imagined. Some of our heroes are limited to our creative imagination. I'm going to make this make sense in just a, a second. Here's the problem with creating heroes. Is that when you create a hero, you also have to create the societal ill and scenarios that they are built to address. We have to make sure that the problems don't appear to be any more than they are created to handle. So if, for example, our hero can leap tall buildings in a single bound because we made him that way, then we also have to make the building to make sure that it is scalable. So if in short, like if our hero gets mad, eats spinach, 
and beats everybody up, then we also make sure that, have to make sure that he never runs out of spinach. There can never be a freeze in the spinach crop because we just lost our hero. When God sends a hero, God has a better perspective, a more global perspective of what the ills are. Our heroes can only fix problems as we see them. It is why our heroes always fall short. It is why we cannot put confidence in man. Because nobody sees what God sees. Nobody knows what God knows. In sending Jesus, God was not just trying to fix people who were fighting against the Roman Empire. Jesus saw you and I two years, thousand years ago. His solution had to be more global. And therefore, he sent us a hero who was not limited. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday. Do I have a witness? Today and forevermore. He is the eternal answer. He's not relegated to any generation, any ethnicity in their problems. Jesus is the forever hero. In our text today, there's a public thing that's happening. People are celebrating their hero. They see Jesus as a hero, the one whom they believe would usher in change and overthrow the unjust Roman Empire. They believed and projected him to be a conquering presence. But he is not quite who they think he is. In scenarios like this, you and I will discover today that they don't quite get who or what they want. But God does. <laughs> Jesus ends up being a disappointment, but not to God. In order to fulfill, here's the resistance in the text, God's agenda, Jesus, you and I have to righteously resist people's agenda. Let's go to the text and see what we can glean from the text. Got just a few minutes. Number one, there's something that, that I think is so extremely important in the text, but I can't spend a lot of time here because it's not my big point. There is the placement and consecration of this donkey. In Luke's narrative, somewhere, church, in between the calling of this donkey and the calling of Jesus, the successful execution of of this donkey's calling. He does what God has assigned him to do. And the execution of Jesus operating outside what we want him to do and be, but fulfilling God's agenda. Somewhere in between this donkey and in between this Savior, you and I are supposed to find our calling. And, 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 and this donkey and this Jesus show us how to execute it. Now, I can't stay here today, so I decided to do a video tomorrow and preach that part on video. You'll be able to get on the website <laughs> and check that out tomorrow. So, somewhere in there, if God called a donkey, you should know, you should not sit here and think that God has not called you. But check that out on the video this week. So, so there's, there's this, this donkey scenario and this. This donkey unties, and, 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 and of course, I'm going to do it 
it tomorrow. You know, I'm not going to talk about it today. But some of us can't do what God calls us to do because we're still tied up. But I'm going to talk about it tomorrow. I can't talk about it today. <laughs> so then, then, then here's what the Bible said. Here's today. Here's what the children showed us. Then they brought us to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the coat, and put Jesus on it. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. And here's what sparked me. When he came near the place, that word near is so operative there. When he played near the place where the road goes down into the Mount of Olives, he did not get to the Mount of Olives. He just got near it. And the Bible says that when Jesus was near the road, that led to the Mount of Olives. And that nearness, right, church, that nearness is the reason that the children came. He hasn't fulfilled anything yet. He's just, just close. And do I have anybody here today that can rejoice when Jesus is close? He just gets close. And that nearness, church, uh, it's enough for them to rejoice. And they were right to rejoice in Jesus' presence and his nearness. Because Jesus' presence said to them, and it should say to us, that church, he may not come when you want him, but he's always on time. Somebody rejoice. He's close. <laughs> Jesus is never late. I know that Mary and Martha thought he was late, but somebody rejoiced with me. He was right on time to do that for Lazarus. He was on God's time. He's never late. He's never early. Here's the foundation for the celebration. It's simply Jesus' presence. Because here's what's true, church. Tell me if you've ever experienced this. Tell me if this has ever played out in your life. Where you've had a need, you were broken, and you called on God. And here's what they were celebrating. This is the rationale behind the celebration. Tell me if any of this makes sense. That if Jesus is near, then my healing is near. I'm going to get better. If Jesus is near, then my victory is near. Because there's no failure in God. If Jesus is near, the days of my oppression are nearly over. If Jesus is near, justice is near. If Jesus is near, equality is near. If Jesus is near, mercy is near. If Jesus is near, somebody celebrate my deliverance and my salvation. They're near. Shout hallelujah. Come on, shout hallelujah. It's near. It's my season. Whenever Jesus is near, all that Jesus is, all that Jesus has, all that Jesus will do on behalf of his children is near as well. They were shouting because God's favor was near. Who wouldn't rejoice when Jesus shows up? You got to understand, here's the perspective. Why do they go crazy? Why do they lose their mind? Why, why are they not ashamed of praising? It's what they had heard about him. You see, they heard what he did for Lazarus. They had heard what he did for Peter when he told Peter to launch out into the deep and let down his dead. They knew about that. They had heard about that he had spoke to the storm and told the storm, peace be still. They heard that he had said, suffer the little children to come close. 
and he gladly received them. This was in their catalog. They had cataloged this. They knew. They heard what he did for the woman with the issue of blood. They heard what he did for blind Bartimaeus. All of Jesus' miracles and his, and his moves were out there. But this is most important why they heard. Most importantly, they heard that he was no respecter of persons. So if he did it for Lazarus, and if he did it for the 5,000, he just might do it for us. That this Jesus shows up, and he just might do it for us. And so they begin to shout. And in his presence was the fullness of joy. And they shouted unto the Lord. Here's what I think we can learn here, common ground. Nobody was ashamed to praise Jesus. Nobody wanted any cool points that day. This was desperation praise. This was Hail Mary praise. This was, I didn't have any other way, and now Jesus showed up. This was, if Jesus didn't show up, it wasn't going to happen. Praise. This was what Jonathan had us do in the sanctuary a couple weeks ago. Everybody left their position and went to go find Jesus. Nobody waited for Jesus to get to the Mount of Olives. They met him on the road, and they praised him. It was almost like he was water in dry places. It was almost like they thought him to be a rock in a weary land. It was almost like they believed he could make a way out of no way. Y'all, this praise this, this scene was crazier than this. Here's the only thing I can liken it to, but it's a thousand times worse. It's a thousand times bigger. It's like if the announcer comes on and says, Neil Miller, come on down. You are the next contestant. And you, and you know when they say that on The Price is Right, the only thing you can do, you got to lose your mind. <laughs> right? There's only one response to that. You have to go crazy, Right? But this was a thousand times better than that. This was their salvation. And yet in the middle of that, Jesus brought contradiction. Because he understands that this Hosanna is really not for me. It's for who y'all think I am. Y'all, this Hosanna, it ain't, it ain't for me. It's for who y'all want me to be. It's what y'all projected on me. And so Jesus would not let them own this moment. He built some things in for himself. He was not swayed by their praise. He was not there to fulfill their expectation. Their praise did not change his identity. He embellishes the praise. Bible says that God inhabits our praises. But it does not change God's agenda. There were some peculiarities in Jesus' arrival. There were some oddities. Everything just didn't add up. This was supposed to be a military parade, one that they were quite familiar with when the king rides in proclaiming his victory. It had all the symbolism. Jesus used what was familiar to them, but he made it his own. Jesus, of course, was not claiming a successful military maneuver, but he was proclaiming victory that was to come. By riding in on a donkey, Jesus was being anti 
the established order. A true military general or king would have certainly ridden a horse. The horse would have been central as a sign of their dominance. Here's what the true to our native land commentary says. Thank you, Pastor E. The horse was the customary war animal. The ass, by contrast, was a draft animal used to carry persons and goods. Zechariah 9 and 9 indicates that for a king, essentially a military figure, to ride on an ass was beneath his status. Jesus had humbled himself. The response of the crowd is to treat him as an arriving king, spreading their garments and branches. This is simple, uh, similar to the red carpet treatment that we had today. So you see very clearly that Jesus is reserving some of this for himself. He's, he's contradicting and protesting in the middle of their celebration. Because he understands. Here's what Jesus understands. Y'all stay in Hosanna today. But in just a couple days, y'all going to say crucify me. That's what Jesus understands. And, and here's one of my points for us, because I'm going to say this. Thing. In your marriage, in your home, in your family, on your job, you can't get too high on people's hosannas, and you can't get too low on they crucify you. That if you need hosanna, if hosanna makes you, then crucify you is going to break you. You got to be bigger than their compliments, and we're called to be bigger than their criticisms. They still coronate Jesus. They still say, blessed is he. So Jesus is fighting what he knows to be true about their Hosanna. And I'm going to finish on this. Then in the middle of that, for you and your ministry, I'll make this clear in the video tomorrow, that's undeniable that you have a calling. And what Jesus is showing you is how to really walk out your calling. Because in the middle of it, there's conflict. He brings contradiction, and they bring him conflict. The Bible says that some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. And Jesus says, I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry. Now, I prepared a video for this. I'm going to give you a couple points, and then I'm, I'm going to sit down. There's a movie, one of my favorite movies, since we started with King and X. I'm going to show you this clip. It's about a minute. And it perfectly, in my estimation, depicts this scenario for Jesus, that there's a crowd going wild. There's Jesus kind of really in it by himself as an authority figure. And then there's an official rebuke and come against him from the ordered establishment. And I think you'll see all of this in this clip. And then I'm going to give you Jesus's response. And then I'm going to be done. Do we have that clip?
This is what Jesus faced. The crowd that cheers in his favor doesn't really understand him. The opposition that comes against him, so he's in it by himself. He's surrounded by people many times in our ministries. People won't get us. But he's in the middle of fulfilling God's will, and that has to be ever-present. That last statement, that's too much power for any one man to have, is the reason that, and you got to come to church next week so Pastor Eric and I can talk about that, it's the reason why he gets killed. Because he's too strong, and nobody can come in and corral his power. Nobody can get him to get on their agenda, to use what God has given him to their good. And thus, Jesus simply says this. Here's what Jesus says. It wouldn't matter if they shut up. It wouldn't matter if I told them to be quiet. Because I'm here to bless them. I'm not here based on them. That's really what he's saying. But if they did shut up, the rocks would cry out. Because this moment is bigger than them. So here's, 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 here's what's happening. The idea of rocks crying out in praise to the Lord is poetic, startling imagery. Throughout scripture are similar poetic passages that present inanimate objects praising God. For example, Psalms 14, 14 and 6 says that the mountains leap. So Isaiah 55 and 12 says, you will go out in joy and be led forth in peace, and the mountains and the hills will burst into song before you, and all the trees of the field will clap their hands. What is he saying? That I don't need people. God is with me. Nature is with me. Everything that God has created is with me. And you and I have to understand that when we stand up to do God's will, that there will be people who will say, Hosanna, you're doing a good job. You're a great pastor. You're a great preacher. You're really good at your job. You're a great nurse. You're awesome. You have perfect attendance. And they love you. That's because they haven't started downsizing yet. But the minute there's trouble, they'll turn on you. But you have to be anchored in God. You have to know that God is with me and that these people don't love me. Even the rocks will cry out, I'm where I'm supposed to be. God is with me. I'll finish like this. Here's what Jesus, the model, Jesus models resistance for our calling. That when you sign up to do what God has called you to do, here's what you should know. I think most people are confused about people. Try to write a book about it. But I'm convinced that most people are confused about people. Here's what you should know. Sometimes you have to do things for people even when the people are not for you. So God will call you to bless people who don't even like you, who aren't with you, who don't get you. Here's the problem. We often use people as a barometer. Jesus didn't have this problem. 
of when and if we should do a thing. There are some spaces and times when you and I cannot afford to make our decisions based upon people's alignment, agreement, or approval. In fact, some people are only will be sent there to get you off course. The enemy sends people into our lives specifically with the assignment to endear themselves to us and to lead us away from God's agenda. You and I have to know how to discern that. We may not get people's agreement, but we will always get God's agreement. Here's what we have to qualify for. Here's what Jesus knows. That when my mother and my father forsake me, it is then that the Lord will come and take me up. And so many of us live our lives on the safe side of that then. We use all of our money, all of our resources to stay in the safe, humble, good people space. But what's true is you may not really be qualified to do what God has called you to do until people reject you. The qualification is on the other side of that then, that after I'm disappointed, when people I counted on, when my mother and my father forsake me, then I'm qualified for this next thing that God will call me to. The ultimate resistance in the text is not to let people define your mandate, your mission, or methodology. I'm closing. Here's what I want to say. Jesus has something on his side that's bigger than people. We have it here at Common Ground. You have it in your home. You have it in your marriage. It is the one thing that should keep you grounded when people turn sideways on you. It's what I used to be at Common Ground. Jesus is responding to prophecy. And prophecy is stronger than people. Zechariah said that he would ride in on this donkey. So he's lining up with what has been prophetically said about him. And it happens that what is prophetically said about him is contrary to what people want him to do. Prophecy will take you where people can't go. And so you should respond to prophecy. Here's the one thing. I'm going to hit you tomorrow. Here's the one thing that God can say about you, your calling, and your assignment that no human being can ever say. And this is the last thing I'm going to say. God has, this is what made God unique in our lives and in our calling. Your mother can't say this. Your pastor can't say this. Your brothers and sisters can't say this. Nobody uh, that you know will ever be able to say this, and this is why God should have the last say. Here's what God can say that nobody can ever say. Why we should follow God and not be afraid to do what God's called us to do. God can say, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you to be a prophet to the nations. 
That's the one thing, church, that God can say and why we should align with him over people and what Jesus did that nobody else can say. I'm going to hit you tomorrow with a little more. Come on, everybody. Let's give God praise for the word today. If you do it right, this shouldn't just be celebration. There should be chaos. You are called, you sitting here, you are God's contradiction to the world. You're called to be a contradiction. You're, you're not supposed to fit in. I believe what we are called to do here at Common Ground Northeast, it is, it is not easy, but we have prophecy on our side and prophecy stronger than people. I want to pray for you. Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you for your goodness, your kindness, and your mercy. I thank you for your grace that has appeared to all of us. Now, God, I pray that as we consider this donkey and this Savior and how, how they were so clear about your calling on their life and their, your expectation, that the righteous resistance in the text was the resistance to align with what people wanted me to be, wanted him to be, and wanted him to do. Only somebody that's keenly aware of your presence and your calling can navigate those waters. Those are very tough waters to navigate. Now, God, I pray that you will pour out your spirit here at Common Ground Northeast, that everybody, would you do me a favor, would you lift your hands, that everybody that's raising their hands in submission to you, that if they know that if you call a donkey, surely you have a call for them. I pray that everybody is being untied, untied in their mind, untied in their psyche, untied in their bad self-image, that we're being untied from weights and things that separate us from the call that you have placed on our life. It is undeniable. Somebody yell out, I receive it. I receive it. I want to walk in it. Untie me so I can do the thing that you have called me to do. And God, I pray now that you will deliver me from the need to have people sign off on what I do. Thank you that now I know that I am a living testimony, but I am a living contradiction. This we believe you for. In Jesus' name, would you give God the best praise you can find?